This is a Power 98.7 podcast. Now we're talking. Subscribe to Power 98.7 podcasts in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. There's more on power987.co.za. So the time is eight minutes past the hour of 10 o'clock and she is here. She is here. One of the bright sparks of our generation is here. We're really great uh, and gladful to have Kanye Magubani, an independent political analyst, journalist, you know, uh, commentator to talk us through the headlines of the weekend, which may even influence the discourse of the week. Kanye, always great to have you. Thank you so much for having me and a good morning to all Power FM listeners. All right, so the ANC is broke, we're told. Yes. Um, and they've got lots of donations, almost mm. 2 billion rands worth of donations, 1.9, but they've got no money. They've lost between 244 million yes. in the last year and then installments of that amount periodically over time. What's gone wrong? Well, I think financial management is what's gone wrong because, like you say, it's not that the money is not coming in. You know, it's clearly what the money is being used for, but also it's about what the ANC um, promises to those people that give them the money. Mm-hmm. And we know that there's currently a court case with the Ezulini Investments that's about to bankrupt them completely, you know, to the tune of 150 million rand. And the ANC is now gearing up to go to the Constitutional Court to fight um, that particular ruling which has failed you know at the supreme court of appeal mm. at the high court level and remind so remind us the details please okay so what happened is that this company Ezulini claimed that in 2019 they produced about 30,000 posters for the ANC and they actually did all the um, posters that we see on the road the banners for all the campaign. for the campaign and um, the ANC now alleges that the officials that signed that agreement didn't have the authority to do so and they were not, um, you know, the ones that needed to do so. Paul Mashadile, who was the Treasurer General at the time, was the person who was authorized to sign off on those amounts. However, whatever happened, it was signed off. They went ahead. My question is, and I think this is why they keep failing in court, why did they use the merchandise? Mm. You know, you, you can't use the merchandise if you, and then, if you didn't procure it and then turn around and say, well, we didn't sign for it, but the posters went up. The banners went up. So I think this company has actual okay. tangible proof that, you know, the money was spent to, 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 to produce, but they yeah. were never paid and it's been a three-year-long journey. Okay. Yes. And so Ezuluni Investments wants 150 million rands yes. of payments yes. due to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, the a- but the ANC's lost uh, more than that in yes. other financial transactions. And I find it staggering that their operating costs are 2.1 billion. Is that how much it costs to run the <laughs> ANC? 2.1 billion. I never knew. I was surprised. Because the IEC, when it um, does its recent party funding um, reports every what, quarter, yeah. you see two, three, four million, and you assume that the running costs, you know, maybe well under a hundred million. But these are staggering amounts, and for a party, you know, that takes so much to run, my question is, what does it do with the money? They couldn't even service their municipal bills. They couldn't even pay their the staff. staff. So what, what is the $2 billion doing if it's not actually addressing their overheads? Well, allegedly there's a portfolio, uh, a property portfolio, an international 
property portfolio um, where there's properties in the UK and there's properties in other parts of the world and that uh, portfolio is worth over 300 million rand so who knows what this portfolio is servicing in terms of you know that money maybe all of that money is actually leaving the country you know for all we know that money may not even be in South Africa so I think that the ANC actually needs to come forward specifically to its members right because its members pay um membership fees yeah. it's like what 12 rand a year and but still, but still cumulatively. cumulatively that money is just but a drop in the ocean i don't think mm-hmm. that money from membership fees can even run the right. anc for a month and if you're saying they've got a property portfolio i want to move on i think i'm understanding the point you're making is they may have in the past made investments onshore and offshore there's nothing wrong with having a property in london right but that property, somebody needs to be paying rent on it. So right. either you're renting it to an embassy or you're renting it to a government department. And so you should be able to get those Profits. pounds yes. and dollars back into your coffers to help you cover your costs. And they can't even do that. They can't even do that. So the question still stands, what is the ANC doing with this money? Financial management skills, you know, are, are basic skills of knowing that you need to be putting in more than you take out. Otherwise, you're in the red, you know, that's accounting 101, uh, you know, debit and credit. And so I think that in, in these may just also be a way of the ANC running away from paying uh, 150 million rand. They may just declare bankruptcy as the next step um, if they don't uh, succeed in the constitutional court to have this ruling overturned. So I'm suspecting that this is a build up towards that ah. because you see now there's also liquidation ah. processes that are getting underway because Ezulwini is now attaching its movable Pro- yeah. its properties to get the money back as much as the SG Fielen Balula has said that they will not be losing Lutuli House but you know once the sheriffs come to to, to attach who knows what they're going to mm-hmm. attach they're going to attach laptops cars you know, for 150 million. For 150 when you, million. When you have operating costs of 2 billion, mm-hmm. the math is not mathing. Is what the math saying. is not mathing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and let's just look at, you know, the, the, the working expenses, right? They've got provincial offices around the country, right? Each of those provincial offices has staff. Yeah. There's also uh, branches that need to yeah. be serviced. So it's not just paying off staff, it's, it's, it's about all those different levels yeah. of the ANC that needs that money sure okay so we'll be watching this we'll be watching uh, and especially in an election year when they really need all the money they can get for the campaign okay so the south african police services they have an intelligence unit mm-hmm. a new structure to help them with specialized crimes mm-hmm. but we know that all other forms of crime intelligence have been fraught in the South African Police Service. Richard and Blue, all of those things, the Hawks right now haven't had a director for the longest time. So what's going on with South African Police Services? What's going on with crime intelligence? And what would a new structure require? Who'd fund it? Mm. And how are they going to deal with the politics around some of these structures? This is actually a worrying story for me because we cannot have infighting and instability in any of our security clusters because once we do, we know that national security becomes compromised. And so this is the situation that we are seeing right now, the the infighting within uh, the crime intelligence unit. And there has been a new national head that's been appointed, Ukmalo, and apparently it's his way of ostracizing the old people who are part and parcel of the old 
old guard who were loyal to the to the to his predecessor you know and so what's happening now is that these new systems are being put into place informants this is where it gets particularly interesting the crime intelligence units works on informers right these informers are operatives that are planted in various criminal syndicates that actually extract information to feed back into crime intelligence and that's how they're able to do all their past in the past they've been paid between 50,000 and a million rand you know for good information depending on on, on the type of information that they're bringing Mm -hmm. and now that number is said to be slashed down to 3,000 rand so in the wake of this amount being slashed down to 3,000 rand there's a grave concern that uh, the ground intelligence will be affected that people will not have an incentive to come forward and bring the information and so people who've been in the in, in the CI in the crime intelligence unit are flagging that this new um, national um, you know head yeah. is, is is not actually looking at the bigger picture right. that he may actually be on his way of destroying the the crime intelligence unit which has spent a lot of time building right. a strong network of operatives right? right so the second thing is these awards that took place right these excellent security awards which those in the know say have blown the cover of many informants of many informants right why not do it privately when nobody can see but instead it was public people knew you know who these operatives are and there's issues of resources that have been taken away from the detectives within the crime intelligence the cars you know state resources which were unmarked vehicles because the point is to stay as clandestine as possible Mm. you know that's how intelligence and operatives work but now in the wake of all of these new measures being put into place they're going to be exposed Mm. they obviously don't watch like the born legacy movies because all those cia guys and stuff they just get get given their medals in an office quietly no camera no nothing Nothing. because nobody's supposed to know who you are just a handshake you know nobody's supposed to know who you are nobody's supposed to know who you are (laughs) any of us could be operatives (laughs) no one is supposed to know Okay, and then finally, I'm just reminded as you're talking of one of the controversies around the Hawks a year or two ago mm-hmm. was this fund that's been allocated to uh, incentivize informants was even being used by senior members of the Hawks and their wives going on holiday, buying expensive linen, some Louis Vuitton bags apparently yes. were flagged up. Yes. So the money wasn't even being utilized for information gathering it was just being used as a slush fund and i think that's where the problem is you know when you misuse the funds that are meant to actually help the security cluster with its work then it means number one we either don't have enough domestic intelligence um work you know the money is 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 sitting there it has nothing to do or it's either somebody doesn't want to pay up Mm. because remember operatives or you're nothing. It's either you take the information or they keep it to themselves or they give it to your opposition who can mm. hurt you. So I think, you know, what, what the example that you've just used for me is, is an example of impunity, yeah. right? That feeling that I am above yeah. any scrutiny, that feeling that yeah. absolute power corrupts absolutely. And, and, and so if this slash fund is being used for anything other than paying, um, you know, intelligence operatives, this is why the July unrest happened. happened. This is why uh, when Parliament went on fire, that security cluster unit was saying this one was supposed to know, was saying that one was supposed to know, was saying this one was supposed to know. So with what's happening now, 
what are the ramifications? What are the things we're going to miss? Mm-hmm. What are the intelligence um, you know, measures that are not going right. to be put in anymore? And once our domestic intelligence is compromised, yeah. that, that, that leaves us as, as sitting ducks, to be okay. honest. All right. Uh, and of course, Kanye is just using generic examples. Mm. We know that there are different layers of intelligence. There's crime intelligence inside the police. There's domestic intelligence inside the SSA. Uh, SSA. Yes. There's national intelligence. There's different components to it, but they all need to be um, they need to be lined up. up the same sheet. Yeah, lined yes. up correctly. Okay, so the climate summit, the UN climate summit, is currently underway in uh, Dubai, in the UAE. It went off to a good start. Like off the bat, they had already adopted the Climate Disaster Fund, mm-hmm. uh, which was going to pay for big things, tsunamis, earthquakes, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And now they're starting to break down other areas of um, climate financing. Um, also hearing that 110 countries, I read, have pledged to triple their renewable energy um, capacity. I'm going to say that, mm-hmm. by the year 2030. So it seems like things are working out there or, or not? You know, it, it seems to have a divide between the northern countries and the southern countries because when I was going through the story, what struck me about it is who benefits from climate change, from global warming. And we know that the poorest countries are always the ones that suffer the most. And if we can bring it back home, when yeah. we saw the floods in Durban and the amount of infrastructure that they do destroyed, but most importantly, governments' um, inability to recover as quickly as they promised us too, where in 2023, there's still families who haven't been placed, who are still displaced, right? And we saw the mass destruction of infrastructure. Now look at that on a grander scale. We don't have tsunamis in this country at a scale that Thailand has them. So you can imagine the destruction and um, I like this loss and recovery fund that's been uh, put uh, by a lot of countries and we saw the UAE, you know, putting quite a lot of money to help those countries recover. However, they are saying that countries that are well off actually benefit from climate change, right? Because they have milder winters. Mm. And when they have milder winters, it means they have better crops. They have Mm. um, better agricultural uh, Mm. produce. And and, and so we know that, of course, global warming does hit those areas quite significantly of food security, of agriculture. We know that once you have food security issues, you also have um, a sense of instability because it's it's a snowballing uh, um, effect because now you have to increase your exports because you can't provide for yourself because all of your crops are damaged, your your, your stock, um, the cows, the animals, things that you need uh, to be exporting to make a living, now you can't anymore. So you have to import. You have to import from America. And when food prices go up, then there's social unrest. So that's the snowball. That's the snowball. I mean, I don't know about you, but recently I opened a pack of eggs and it was snow white eggs. The American eggs that we usually see. And in, in South Africa, we usually have like the brown mm-hmm. shell yeah. eggs. But yeah. now we have the white eggs. And, and I was reading up like, oh, these are imports from America because we didn't have eggs. Did they have an accent? If they could talk, talk, I'm sure they did. So I think that um, it's important for listeners as well to realize that 
it does impact them in the long run and their pocket as much yeah. as we may say COP17 is something yeah. that's out there with yeah. leaders the, the ripple effect comes all the way down yeah. to the consumer but on the egg okay but now I'm just being silly but yeah. on the eggs Togo Tudiza did say they're going to import because we've got that chicken culling crisis yes. and they're not going to impose import duties on eggs we wow. shouldn't be paying more we shouldn't be paying more for the eggs ideally ideally if we had like a consumer journalist who actually could go and do, do the maths and do the maths and yeah. actually go shop to shop and calculate yeah. how much eggs cost a year ago and how much they cost right. now okay so let's just talk a little bit extra because um in the news headlines they were saying that the president was giving a bit of a report back to the south african media just a one-way report back nobody was asking him questions right. uh, and he said that he's met with uh, the un secretary general antonio guterish uh just uh updating him as to where south africa uh is at regarding its just energy transition implementation plan so many people in south africa cannot understand, just absolutely cannot understand why South Africa is committing itself to international targets and timelines and perhaps even some of these issues around contributing to a loss and damage fund or being a recipient. Why, why, why would South Africa be so heavily involved, engaged and invested? South Africa has a tendency of, of wanting to have good optics globally and internationally at the expense of the reality of the ground on the ground and if, if it was possible for Ramaphosa to meet all the targets he has promised he should have done so and made that promise to South Africans first mm-hmm. and lived up to it. In fact when a Minister of Electricity came in uh, I specifically remember the President saying that give us 12 months. Mm-hmm. Within 12 months we are going to be in a much better place. In fact load shedding may even be a thing of the past past. 12 months later, we are sitting in a situation where residents have at least 12 or more hours a day of no electricity. So the president is over-promising. You know, he's over-promising. And and I think the president actually needed to take a different approach and perhaps ask for assistance. We saw the Chinese generators coming, right? And Lerato, your face says it all. Your face says it all. No, my face is saying what Twitter said. Which are these look like macro generators? Are they Chinese? So there are many countries who've actually won their energy crisis or who are doing well in terms of providing energy instead of us going out there to the international community and making all kinds of promise. Perhaps as South Africa, we can be honest and say we are not getting on top of our energy crisis. This is not an issue we are solving anytime soon. Can you assist us as the international community? And the international community would say, um, when when we talk about climate solutions, we're not just talking about an electricity problem, yay or nay. We are talking about the elimination of greenhouse gas emissions, the net zero targets. Uh, We're talking about reducing uh, global warming. Mm-hmm. Um, and its impact broadly on the ecology. We are talking about decarbonization. Right. Uh, we are talking about um, introducing green solutions and a more hybrid energy mix. So electricity becomes one dimension of a much broader, broader spectrum yes. of solutions yes. that are being sought there. 
Absolutely. And in terms of the greening solutions that you, you're talking about, I think South Africa has a growing climate change activist community okay. that is starting to hold government accountable to our CO2 emissions, okay. to decarbonization, greening spaces, right. the emissions from corporates. And I think that those are positive steps, you know, to ensuring that South Africa is not just dealing with an energy issue, but is dealing with it holistically. Okay. And also you, you you see other energy uh, generating companies saying that they're going towards solar. Mm. If I'm not mistaken, mm. the story that we just read on mm. the COP28 is that mm. they are looking at very real solar um, energy, but South Africa is still pushing coal-generated energy, mm. which is something um, that is of uh, concern to climate mm. change um, activists or anyone interested in mm. the longevity of our climate uh, sustainability okay. because we know that those emissions that go up into the air from all our different power plants yeah. are not green-friendly. Yeah. So and that's then, a big problem we have. We haven't even started transitioning away from okay. coal-generated energy. So it's quite complex. Who's Roger Jardine? He's putting himself up for president in terms of the multi-party charter mm-hmm. that was um, crafted by the DA mm-hmm. and some parties in alignment with them. So who is he? And, and, and why would he put himself up? So one of the things that I was reading about last week is a lot of these new formations, right. because they're new. Right. Um, they haven't had conventions, elective conferences, etc. So, mm. so in this incantation, you're not going to see the most democratic of systems right. to appoint leaders in some of these coalition formations, perhaps later on. So what's going on here? How did Roger Jardine come up? How did he put up his hand? Who is he? What is he offering? And would other members of the charter accept it? Let's start there with other members of the charter accepted. And maybe let's just give the listeners a background. The multi-charter coalition is made up of seven political parties who've come together with an intention of... um, creating an over 50% majority in the elections next year. So they are in it to win it, right? Mm -hmm. And in August this year, they did um, their big two-week conference Mm -hmm. and they spelled out what this coalition would be about. And now they are obviously looking for the face. There has to be one unified face. So there are many business people or people from the business community that have now financially supported um, the multi-party coalition. However, there's no freelance of course, as we know, what the business community is saying is this is our man. This is the man that we want. You know, we know that he's a businessman. He's said to be a successful businessman. He's said to have struggle credentials. Okay. He's said to be part and parcel of the anti-apartheid movement. We know that he has been in government before. Um, He's a well-known business figure. He was also appointed the director general of the Department of Arts and Culture and Science and Technology at the age of 29 Mm. in 1994. He's also been a media boss. He's a CEO. He's a previous CEO of Cajiso Media. So he has really um, planted his feet firmly within um, the business community. And the fight now is starting to to bubble because the leaders of the seven uh, political parties were under the impression that the president would rise within their ranks. And Corneille Mulder from the FF Plus has said that as much as they appreciate the support that they are receiving from the business community, however, it's imperative that they do things the proper way. So you need somebody with political acumen, someone who knows how to run a political party, who has the experience. You can't take somebody who has absolutely no years of experience and parachute them into the presidency. 
And yet, that's how Emmanuel Macron won an election. That's how the Irish president won an election. That's how Donald Trump won an election. Sometimes people say it's time to do things differently. Absolutely. They're saying that it's going to be turned into South Africa Inc. or PTY LTD if you take somebody that's coming from business and and put them into the presidency. However, government is supposed to have a pro-poor policies. You know, yeah. that's what drives government. It's it, ideology. It's, it's all about ideology. When you bring a poor yeah. a business person in, they're going to push business ideologies. Yeah. You know, the situation for the poor may even change for the worse. Right. Once, I mean, I'm not saying Roger will, will do anything drastic. We don't know yeah. him yeah. Uh, that well, but we, we even know that our very own president yeah. has been accused of being too business orientated. Okay. Kanye, we have to leave it there. I think our last story, I'm going to ask our team if we can take it and make it a story tomorrow and this is uh arab americans saying don't vote for biden absolutely they're calling him uh genocide joe Mm. (laughs) hashtag genocide joe um boycott Joe Biden and many people were saying well if you boycott Biden then you're actually giving Donald Trump uh, the go ahead and you remember Donald Trump and his Muslim ban Um, how is that better Mm -hmm. you know if if you say it's not Biden is it then going to be Trump that's where the story is catch 22 Kanye Makubani thank you so much always great insightful time for the news thank you so much you've been listening to a power 98.7 podcast for more podcasts visit power987.co.za or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.